Okay, welcome back once again to the Counter Vortex with your ranter, Bill Weinberg, ranting at you in the wee hours of July 3rd from my apartment on Manhattan's Lower East Side. And I'm going to be giving a, uh, a report and analysis of a uh, very interesting protest demonstration, which I uh, <clears throat> attended. Very interesting and spirited and animated protest demonstration that I attended on July 1st up at the Chinese consulate here in New York City, up on 42nd Street near the Hudson River. Now, that day, July 1st, was a pretty heavy day in China, and especially in Hong Kong, marking three anniversaries. The anniversary of the founding of the Chinese Communist Party in 1921, the anniversary of the handover of Hong Kong from British to Chinese sovereignty in 1997, and the passage of the uh, National Security Law just last year, 2020, by the National People's Congress in Beijing, which marked the consolidation of the uh, really draconian crackdown on political opposition, which um, we've seen in Hong Kong since then. And the rally was entitled 100 Years of Chinese Communist Party Oppression jointly organized by groups uh, of the Hong Kong and Tibetan and Mongolian diaspora here in New York City, including Project Black Mask Hong Kong, Students for a Free Tibet, the Regional Tibetan Youth Congress of New York and New Jersey, and the Southern Mongolia Human Rights Information Center. And, uh, you know, a spectrum of uh, issues was addressed here concerning the various peoples and ethnicities who are being particularly oppressed by the rule of the Chinese Communist Party as it uh, enters um, an extremely authoritarian and bellicose posture under the leadership of Xi Jinping. First and foremost, the Hong Kongers, who increasingly... It was certainly quite evident at this rally, see themselves as distinct from the Chinese. And it's interesting, on, uh, on July 1st, there were the big official celebrations of the 100th anniversary of the founding of the Chinese Communist Party in Tiananmen Square in Beijing, presided over by Xi Jinping, who gave a speech which was laden with threatening rhetoric and revanchist grievances, while meanwhile in Hong Kong, the traditional pro-democracy march, which is held on that day, commemorating the, the handover, was preemptively shut down by the police, who sealed off Victoria Park, the usual gathering place, and where activists attempted to gather in small groups at other points around the city, they were shut down and arrested by the police. I'll have more to say about this later. So if you've been following what's going on in Hong Kong, you know, it's clear that the political space is rapidly closing there at a really terrifying rate, quite frightening. Also quite frightening, uh, even more frightening, <laughs> quite a bit more frightening, is the situation way off at the other end of China in uh, what is variously known as either Xinjiang 
or East Turkestan, depending on who you ask, where perhaps as many as three million ethnic Uyghurs and members of other Muslim and Turkic ethnicities, such as the Kazakhs, have been detained in what can only be called concentration camps, certainly an escalation toward genocide, if it hasn't yet already reached the point of genocide, things appear to be heading in the same direction, frighteningly, in Tibet, which lies immediately to the south of East Turkestan, where there are growing reports of um, forced labor and forced relocation to keep the populace under control, as well as in uh, what is variously known as either Inner Mongolia to the Chinese or Southern Mongolia to the Mongol people themselves, where there are increasingly um, curbs on education in the Mongolian language and other cultural rights, and the seizure of traditional grazing lands by the government for military bases and so on, and the flags and traditional dress of all of these peoples were seen at this uh, rally up on 42nd Street on July 1st, as well as uh, very forthright demands for independence for these regions from the People's Republic of China. There were also two countries outside the borders of China, which were at issue here, although in one of those countries, whether it is in fact outside the borders of China, again, sort of depends on who you ask, Taiwan, which is facing increasing threats and saber-rattling from China, threats to its de facto independence, and Burma. I was very heartened to see that there was a representative at the rally of a uh, solidarity group here in New York City in solidarity with the... um, pro-democratic resistance in Burma, made up of, uh, you know, New York area Burmese. And of course, people who have been following the situation have been aware that the Chinese government has been backing up the brutal junta, which has illegitimately seized power in Burma since the coup d'etat of February 1st. And the pro-democracy movement, which has been mobilizing there, demanding for, you know, a, a restoration of legitimate rule, and has actually formed a kind of parallel government and is attempting to build parallel power from below, has been met with serial massacres by the security forces, which at last count had resulted in upwards of 800 dead. And quite frighteningly, the situation now appears to be, you know, actually spilling into armed insurgency with the potential for civil war, largely because the peaceful democratic resistance received no solidarity from the outside world. So all of this quite urgently demands our attention and our protest here in the West and around the world. But as always, it seems, whenever you're dealing with the realm of politics and activism, things can get complicated. And there were a few things about this protest which kind of disturbed me. And I'm going to be starting off by talking about a um, one of the leaflets which was going around at the at the protest, and was in fact even wheat pasted to some of the walls up there on 42nd Street, which is one that I've seen before. I've also seen it wheat pasted to walls around uh, around Chinatown, 
uh, and it is uh, very disturbing and disappointing. It reads, Goddamn commies, CCP go to hell. Below an image of a mushroom cloud rising over the Forbidden City. Now, for starters, goddamn commies go to hell is so crude an epithet as to border on self-parody. But far, far worse is the image of Beijing getting nuked. Uh, I hate to tell you, but that is just seriously messed up. I must object to this very strongly. And caution, whoever produced this leaflet, and it was, uh, some effort went into it. It was a nice job. <laughs> it was actually, you know, on glossy paper, full color, etc., with this, you know, horrific apocalyptic vision. I must caution whoever produced this leaflet and whoever saw fit to distribute it at this rally to beware of becoming that which you oppose and to engage in propaganda which dehumanizes perceived political enemies and legitimizes unthinkable atrocities. It's not funny. And I saw this leaflet, um, we pasted to a wall up there on on 42nd Street, across the street from the Chinese consulate, along with another one, which read, Liberate Hong Kong. Hong Kong independence is the only way out. Well, uh, I saw those two leaflets together, and I just said to myself, Liberate Hong Kong? Nuke Beijing? All right, I'm down with the first, but emphatically not the second. And interestingly, there was kind of a um, a breakaway faction at this rally, which uh, was dressed up in the traditional anarchist black block gear, head-to-toe black with masks over their faces. I mean, a lot of us had masks on because of the pandemic, but uh, they were wearing black masks and very clearly attempting to hide their identity. I don't have a problem with that per se by any stretch of the imagination, <laughs> particularly because we all know that that particular corner, especially, is just absolutely bristling with security cameras, some visible and we can presume many not. Security cameras, both of the NYPD and of the Chinese consulate. So I'm not taking issue with uh, these guys hiding their faces or getting dressed up in uh, black block gear. Not whatsoever, but uh, there was one action they carried out, which I found a little questionable, where they actually, uh, they, they crossed the street. They crawled, We were all across 42nd Street from the consulate, on, that is to say on the south side of 42nd Street. They crossed over to the north side, where the consulate is, and really kind of got right in front of the um, hired security guards a firm called Epic Security, presumably hired by the consulate, although when I asked them, they refused to answer. Uh, in any event, these uh, these black block kids, are mostly quite young, um, erected a little shrine on the sidewalk right outside the consulate with candles and photos of a man who, on July 1st, in Hong Kong, that is to say, that same day, of course, it was you know, 24 hours earlier, so to speak, in Hong Kong because of the international dateline, <clears throat> stabbed himself to death after stabbing a police officer. 
The police officer was wounded in the shoulder but lived. And these Black Block kids, uh, you know, had pictures of him from the media in this little makeshift shrine which they erected along with candles. And they threw um, fake money, that is to say, joss paper in the air, which is, you know, traditional Chinese funeral rite way of honoring the dead. Now, I'm not sure how I feel about this. I mean, yeah, hashtag ACAB, all cops are bastards. Yeah, we know. <laughs> but um, randomly stabbing a cop, and this, does, this did not seem to have happened in the context even of, uh, you know, suppression of a demonstration or anything like that. This guy seems to have just randomly stabbed the cop immediately before killing himself with the same knife. This does not strike me as, uh, you know, uh, either productive or principled political action. I certainly understand the context and the desperation which can drive people to such senseless expressions of rage. But it doesn't make it any the less individualistic, adventurist, and literally self-destructive. So I really have to, uh, you know, question whether... Uh, it was wise to be upholding this guy as a martyr and a hero. And generally, there was a, uh, a certain tension between uh, you know, pro-democracy sentiment and ethnic nationalism at the rally. And uh, ethnic nationalism was definitely on far greater display. Okay, now I was uh, you know, enthused to be seeing all of the, you know, the flags of Tibet and southern Mongolia, and so on, and the traditional garb of the Tibetans and the Mongolians on display. But it's interesting, among the, the various speakers representing the various peoples and causes represented at the rally, there was only one, albeit the best known, who appeared to uh, explicitly identify as Chinese. Because, as I say, Many of the independence-minded Hong Kongers today appear to no longer identify as Chinese, and I'm not sure that the speaker who uh, represented Hong Kong there, who was actually a former member of the uh, Hong Kong Legislative Council, Bajio Leung, I'm not sure that he necessarily identifies as Chinese. But the, uh, the one person who spoke, who I assume does, in fact, and again, the best known of the speakers, was Feng Shuo Zhao, if I'm pronouncing his name correctly, I hope that I am, uh, who was actually a survivor of the June 4th, 1989 Tiananmen Square massacre. He was actually a student leader back in uh, 1989, and today runs an outfit entitled Humanitarian China. And he was the only one at this rally, who, among all the calls for free Tibet, free East Turkestan, free Southern Mongolia, free Hong Kong, free Taiwan, free Burma, he was the only one to utter a rather critical two-word phrase, free China. And this phrase is not only critical for the Chinese or the Han Chinese, but it's critical for the Tibetans and the Uyghurs and the Mongolians and the Hong Kongers because there will be no peaceful way, it strikes me at least, that there will be no peaceful way for Tibet 
and East Turkestan and Southern Mongolia and Hong Kong to achieve independence without democratic change in China. And, in fact, democratic change in China could even lessen the imperative for actual independence. Now, I want to emphasize that it is absolutely not for me to say whether the Tibetans and the Uyghurs and the Southern Mongolians and the Hong Kongers should seek independence. Not my place to say that. But I think I'm entitled to make the observation that no matter which path to liberation and self-determination they choose, it isn't going to be possible without building some degree of support among the Han Chinese and making common cause with them against the dictatorship, which is, in the final analysis, their common oppressor. And I just want to close by noting one particular surreal irony of what um, transpired in Hong Kong on July 1st, where the uh, 11 activists who were arrested for holding illegal gatherings and giving out, quote, subversive literature, basically meaning leaflets calling for restoration of democratic rights, were arrested under a law known as the Crimes Ordinance, dating back to the British colonial era in Hong Kong, and apparently still in effect. Among those who were arrested was uh, a woman by the name of Grandma Wang, who was apparently uh, quite notorious in Hong Kong for being a real stalwart at all the protests that have been held over the past two years. And she was arrested by the police for waving a Union Jack, a British flag. So I just don't know how anyone can square it. I mean, the People's Republic of China and its, you know, appointed proxies in the Hong Kong government, you know, are acting in the supposed interest of opposing neocolonialism as if the protest movement was entirely fomented by Britain and America, which is obvious nonsense, resorts to using a law dating back to the colonial era in Hong Kong and presumably put in place as a measure against communist subversion. And those targeted by that law today, or at least some of them, display this strange nostalgia for British colonialism, despite the fact that it was the British colonial masters who put in place laws like that, suppressing free speech, and also, let's recall, denied Hong Kong meaningful self-government, exactly as the new Chinese masters are now doing. So, you know, I read about stuff like this, and I've ranted about this before, you know, it's not the first time that the protesters in Hong Kong have, you know, waved the Union Jack or Old Glory, the American flag. <clears throat> I read about this and, you know, I just find myself pulling my beard out in exasperation. Now, there have been other things we've seen from Hong Kong which have given me a great deal of hope and have filled me with enthusiasm, such as the support which was expressed by many of the protesters in Hong Kong for the Black Lives Matter movement here in the United States. 
So I'd like to see more of that. Those who support freedom for Hong Kong and Tibet and East Turkestan and Southern Mongolia and Taiwan and Burma talking about building solidarity with the pro-democratic elements in China as besieged and marginal as they may be at this moment, and also with progressive and anti-racist forces here in the United States and the West. This has been Bill Weinberg with The Counter Vortex. Check us out online at countervortex.org. Support us on Patreon. Join The Counter Vortex, join the resistance, and rant on you next time.